0: On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy, you will hear from John Fanikos, Executive Director of Pharmacy Services at Brigham and Women's Hospital, as we further discuss a pharmacy leader's role in the COVID-19 vaccine distribution. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by The Ohio State University Lashley Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about The Lashley Leadership Program and The Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy, MS in Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy In Mr. Fanico's current role, he is responsible for the overall pharmacy department operations and its financial performance managing a staff of over 300 pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, and pharmacy interns that provide care across inpatient and ambulatory settings. Mr. Fanikos also serves as an adjunct professor of clinical pharmacy at the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. John earned his Bachelor of Science degree in pharmacy at Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and his Master of Business Administration degree at Northeastern University. He completed an ASHP accredited residency at Brigham and Women's Hospital. In John's past roles, he has served as an investigational drug pharmacist, inpatient, pharmacy supervisor, preceptor, and finally pharmacy administrator. Mr. Fanikos has authored or co-authored over 100 peer-reviewed publications and textbook chapters on medication use with a specific emphasis on anticoagulation and antiplatelet therapies. John is a member of the National Comprehensive Cancer Network panel that crafts guidelines for the treatment and prevention of thromboembolic disease. He serves as treasurer and sits on the board of directors for the North American Thrombosis Forum, a nonprofit organization that provides a platform for those interested in thrombotic disorders to enhance disease education, awareness, advocacy research, and prevention. Mr. Fanikos is past president of the Massachusetts Society of Health System Pharmacists. John comes from a family of pharmacists. Both his brother and his father are pharmacists, so John is very well aware of the issues facing pharmacy today. Okay, let's jump into our interview with John Fanikos. John, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks, Bob, for having me. This is quite a thrill.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you for being on. Uh, You know, obviously, you and I are colleagues, and you... You, you run a really big sh- shop like I do uh, you know, here at Ohio State, and you've been uh, really in some of the hotspot situations as it relates to this pandemic. So it's, it's going to be really good to hear your perspective on how your department dealt with certain things in the pandemic, but most importantly, around the current issue we're dealing with, which is the vaccine. So I know Brigham and Women's is a really um, high-powered institution, one of the top hospitals in the country. But tell us a little bit about the statistics, the size, the revenue, scope of services, et cetera, of the hospital. And then tell us a little bit more about your pharmacy department.
1: Yeah, sure, Bob. So we're an um, 803-bed tertiary care facility. So we provide the full scope of care from childbirth uh, to life-saving interventions like organ transplantation. Um, I can tell you I was actually born at the hospital in oh, wow. 1961, so it's uh, a special pay- place for me, um, my family, and, and certainly um, uh, the folks that uh, I work with on a day-to-day basis. So um, we're a big place with uh, about 50,000 admissions during the course of the year. We've uh, got about 25,000 surgeries that we take care of. To your point, we're a little over a billion dollars in revenue that's generated each year. We spend uh, probably close to 250 million on drugs uh, every year. So it's a, it's a busy place. We're part of the partners now, Mass General Brigham. We renamed ourselves. Oh, okay. Ra- ra- name recognition um, wow. about a year ago. Um, so uh, within our system, there are 14 hospitals. Um, The big 1,000-pound gorilla is Mass General on one side of town. Uh, There are over 1,200 beds. Uh, We're on the other side of town, so we basically uh, try to consume the area south and west of of Boston, reaching down to Cape Cod and the islands. But within the system, there are a whole host of community hospitals, and we have a whole host, as you might expect, um, primary care centers, urgent care centers, surgical centers. So... You know, our, our goal is to try to be um, not only your local uh, provider of health care, but if you need some sort of specialty expertise, whether it's in malignancy or whether it's in a surgical procedure, hopefully, you know, you come down uh, to us.
0: Oh, wow. That's cool. So your pharmacy department is about probably about the same size as mine as well. So tell us a little bit about
1: yeah. your pharmacy
0: and kind of your scope.
1: Just like you, Bob, we get about, you know, 300 people that come through the department, about 220 FTEs, you know, um, there's, you know, never a a shortage of people, you know, 24-7, 365, you know, we, uh, you know, try to decentralize our our pharmacists to provide care at the bedside. Um, You know, we've got close to 100 ICU beds. So if the closer we can get our pharmacist into proximity of care, Uh, the better, of course, we run some satellite operations in our OR. We run a retail pharmacy. Um, We have a specialty pharmacy off campus. And, you know, we have pharmacies in all of our ambulatory or or clinic sites. So um, busy place with a lot of uh, activity. Um, And I I think, um, you know, like many things, uh, you know, we continue to grow every year, you know, with, with people. And we continue to grow every year with asks surrounding what the you know, hospitals, administrators, and uh, medical staff would like us to do.
0: Yeah, and I think yeah, I'm I'm forced. I'm basically uh, experiencing the same thing. We continue to be asked, and I think we continue as leaders to be challenged with doing more with less, sort of the old adage. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, And I think obviously COVID has been has been no exception. So you know, what was it? March? Well, I, I guess for you guys, it was was it February where you closed things down.
1: No, actually, uh, Bob. That's a you know, uh, it's it's funny because um, it's still crystal clear in my memory. Uh, you know, I uh, you know, we started uh, worrying about COVID in early March that first week. Okay, um, and the reason I know is because in and around uh, you know the eleventh and twelfth. Um, you know, the news started to break about, uh, the pandemic and explosion in New York city. Yeah. And we were, we were about two weeks, um, behind them. I see. And, uh, you know, obviously because of our connections with GPOs and just the closeness of the world of pharmacy, you call your friends at different hospitals. And I have to tell you, uh, you know, my Elsa started to bleed, you know, <laughs> when I heard what was going on and, uh. You know, we started at that point. It was probably around, uh, if we pull out a calendar, the 13th or 14th of March, you know, when we started to knuckle down every day, you know, with our own uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, managers and staff and start communicating about, you know, what was going to happen. So, very quickly, by the end of March, we turned from a general hospital to a COVID hospital, and the numbers of patients, um, you know, rose to uh, a peak. You know, around uh, mid-April and stayed that way until the end of May. So, wow! And what was
0: that? Like? What was the? What was the census? Your COVID census?
1: So, typically, it wasn't bad. It was typically about, you know, two hundred to two hundred and twenty-five patients a day. So, we had um, prepared, uh, you know, for what I think, you know, would have been the Armageddon, which is turning, you know, the Arcadia Cath Lab, ROR, yeah. um, and other. Uh, Recovery, uh, you know, perioperative areas, you know, uh, and prepared them for, um, you know, COVID patients. I I think we got lucky. The biggest challenge in the hospital, obviously, because we have three buildings that we navigate through with inpatient care, uh, was trying to, you know, identify areas where we could, you know, basically situate our critically ill patients um, and then the non critically ill. Uh, in a way that, you know, we could provide care efficiently. And, you know, I, I think we uh, we kept moving, you know, from one intensive care unit to another, new building to old building, um, and shuffling uh, different patients around. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I have to applaud the nurses, um, because I think they did yeoman's work in terms of you know, changing from what they would have done for caring of patients in a routine setting, you know, perhaps post operative care and becoming, you know, an expert in critical care. Yeah. Um, I, I'll applaud my doctors because in many instances, physicians were taken away from what their original oh, practice sure. would have yeah. been and assigned, you know, to a, a unit. And then finally, um, I think as pharmacists, um, my staff did you know, what I would say, you know, heroes work um, because we were asked by the medical and surgical uh, departments to make sure that we had pharmacists available in all our patient care areas, mostly to support, you know, practitioners that may not be familiar with, you know, infectious disease and critically ill patients. So, you know, our pharmacists, uh, I think were asked to jump into the breach and and be present and accounted for. And I, I, think we did that. Yeah. And that's,
0: and that's very similar to, but just to give you some scope, John, that we are, our, our peak of COVID patients was in December and it was probably 180, but you guys, consistently so what was your December peak then did you have a December peak as well
1: yeah we we uh we got above uh just above over a hundred patients a day so oh, okay. okay from the you know Thanksgiving period and I, I I have to tell you I I plead guilty I just didn't think you know our uh expert population based, uh, predictions from our epidemiology group—you know—they um, were spot on in the spring. They, I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't see the, the rise, the second rise in, yeah. in the patients. Come, but they did, and um, so, yeah, we get, we get up over a hundred again. And the good news this time was our our ICU population was typically around, you know, twenty-five or so patients. So it was much more manageable. We didn't stop. You know, our routine care, our our elective surgeries, we kept doing business as usual.
0: So your COVID response now is essentially business as usual, plus dealing with sort of little surges and these sort of little lower patients on ventilators, et cetera. So so let's switch to vaccines. And obviously, you know, starting in December, uh, we got vaccine and you got vaccine as well. I'm
1: assuming you got the Pfizer vaccine was your first uh, shipment. yeah, we actually. So this is interesting too. The Mo- Moderna company is in Cambridge, although the manufacturing for the vaccines is done elsewhere. So we actually, um, you know, launched the Moderna vaccine trial at the end of July. I see. So uh, Dr. Lindsay Baden, who's one of our infectious disease specialists, and if you follow the publication in New England Journal, you'll see he's the first author, but. They started the double-blind trial. We actually helped, um, I think. Wow. uh, Because if you looked at the placebo dose and the Moderna vaccine, you could clearly tell the difference. So we did our own sophisticated blinding with tape, uh, you know, the usual uh, pharmacy MacGyver-type approaches, (laughs) you know, to hide what the content of the syringes were. And several of my pharmacists actually... um, you know, worked in the in the uh, clinical studies center, oh, that's um, and off campus as well, giving vaccines to. So we, you know, I I, I will say I uh, volunteered for the study. They didn't pick me. Yes. Very similar, very similar to the junior prom. I was left, you know, without a without a date.
0: By the way, me and you both.
1: Yeah, but anyway, we so we uh, we had the experience of of enrolling patients in that trial, finishing it. In early November and then patiently waiting for the the results. But you're right. We got our first Pfizer vaccines um, in early early December and then the Moderna vaccine shortly after.
0: So um, so just describe for me then, John Lee, what, what did what did your program what did your vaccine program look like? I guess I guess the other question I should ask, I don't mean to back up a little bit, was pharmacy's involvement in the vaccine. So, for example, here at Ohio State, one of my pharmacy leaders is a co-lead of the vaccine initiative. Did you have a lot? Did you have somebody from your department in leadership around the COVID, the COVID vaccine project in general, or were you just?
1: part Yeah, we did. We did. Um, You know, my uh, director Mike Catuno and several others, uh, Josephine Long and Angela Triggs. I've got a whole staff of uh, wonderful managers that have, uh, you know, basic, basically been at the forefront of, you know, the organization of the clinic, um, the workflows that we established in advance. Um, you know, we actually do the, uh, we started doing the vaccine prep in the pharmacy. It was clear that we needed to do it in real time. So we, yeah. we actually uh, commandeered. Uh, the hospital's coffee shop and their little kitchen and, and stood up and and created. So yes. Uh, And we also, as always had pharmacists contributing to, you know, the actual administrations of the vaccines as well.
0: Yeah, Yeah. That's great. So yeah, what we did initially was we had three sites initially. Now we've consolidated, consolidated down to the basketball arena here at Ohio State and it's actually much better. There's much more room, et cetera. So how uh, so how did it start out? It's just a hospital based sort of auditorium. Yeah, we started,
1: we had an open uh, area in one of our newer buildings where typically, uh, as I suggested, it was coffee and you know lunch break. And yeah. we uh, turned that into a a vaccine center with about twenty stations. We started our vaccination probably like you did at six o'clock in the morning and ran till late into the evening hours. So, um, you know, the employees were, you know, basically on the honor system. Um, you know, we started with our emergency room and imaging folks first, because that's where you know, most of our patients go, um, and our medical staff, uh, and, and whatever front-facing uh, clinicians or staff were involved in patient care. So some of my pharmacists were in the early um roll out of phases of getting vaccinated um you know I uh I sit in the bunker a lot of days now Bob so I was with the you know the fourth or fifth tier of of individuals but anyway we work through the system where you know we've got about as of today about 80% of the employees are vaccinated you know we should be wow. done with our employees the first week of March you know we open the floodgates for patient vaccinations um, you know, uh, last week of the week, but yeah, last week, I think we started. Um, but then we also helped. Um, there's a couple of big hubs. I'm sure you were involved. Similarly, we helped set up Gillette Stadium with the New England Patriots. Oh, wow. Yeah. about So Gillette Stadium is about uh, 20 miles southwest of us. We have a health center down yeah. there. And, uh, you know, we're vaccinating over, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 patients a day now. Um,
0: How is it set up, then, John? How is it the stadium set up? You drive? Is it a
1: drive? You drive? No, they uh, set up the club level. So, r- Bob, I would never okay. get in that level if I attended a game. But um, <laughs> you know, now they set up the club level, uh, you know, which is typically the break spot between, you know, at halftime. But anyway, yeah. they um, it's 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 too cold right now here to do, uh, I think what you're seeing elsewhere in warm weather cities being able to vaccinate while individuals stay in their car. So we, oh, my God, so we've yeah. got people coming in and, and coming out, but um, our role there was mostly to set up. Um, now the state has a series of logistic companies that are, um, you know, taking over the, the remaining portion of it. So we send fridges down and set up, uh, you know, some workflows and provided a whole bunch of information, got everything started, sent vaccines down. And uh, now they've been up and running for the better part of a month. So. so
0: then how was it licensed? How is it licensed?
1: So it actually, so a good question. It actually operates under our license at the hospital. All
0: right. Yeah. Like a satellite license and that's of what we do. Yeah. And, that, and that's just during this public health emergency.
1: Correct. I, um, they opened, uh, a similar facility at Fenway park where the Boston Red Sox play that's much closer yeah. to us. Um, they're not vaccinating as many patients, obviously, because there's not the, the size and space that you have at a, at a football stadium. Um, sure. and then, you know, hopefully major league baseball will start on April 1st. So I think, you know, that site should be short lived. Um, uh, whereas I think the, you know, the football stadiums have probably till, you know, maybe mid or end of July before, you know, they get, uh, lose their lease arrangement and get booted out, but we'll see.
0: Interesting. So you have sort of multi-pronged approach. What we have here within Columbus is we have Ohio State, which, which uh, vaccinates within our basketball arena, and we do it uh, in what's called a rotunda area. It's like a, kind of like a club level, it's not even, it's just like a rotunda you walk in and it's an open space, like an entrance and, and, and an open space. And uh, other health systems have sort of operations that are based out of their auditoriums or maybe a large office uh, space area, but there are no you know, mass vaccination centers like the convention center or or anything like that here in town. So it sounds to me like you guys just have a multi-pronged approach, which uh, I'm assuming the the goal is to vaccinate how many patients per day? Do you know? Have they set a goal?
1: Um, we we have not, and I I know the state has a goal, and I know the state is. Uh, so I, I don't have the number off the top of my head. I mean, there's six six million residents in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Um, I I think we're just past. Last time I looked, I think we were at a million and a half uh, with patients getting their first dose. Yeah, so we got a long way to go. We're in the same boat. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a horse race, though. I mean, I know, like most people, there's uh, always this urgency to be the first in line. Yeah. Um, you know to you know, and I I think you know, and you've probably seen it. I, I mean, the supply chain has been a challenge. Yeah. You know, with just ha- number of, of doses, but I think. You know, if we get a an, another candidate from Johnson and Johnson, and perhaps AstraZeneca, you know, we may have um, you know excess. I, I tell people this is like a ketchup bottle. You know, you, it is a little right. that comes out at the start, but then all of a sudden, be careful you'll get you'll get a lot. So hopefully, it follows that paradigm. You know, where it's been a little for the last yeah. for the first few months, and then we'll have a lot as we enter the spring. I hope that's what we see.
0: Yeah, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what you're thinking of is in April, just as Dr. Fauci has stated in April, uh, 2021, there will be an abundance of vaccines, and I, I feel pretty confident about that as well. What What are your thoughts?
1: I I do. I I feel, I feel really, you know, really pretty good about it. I mean, we've had, you know, I I mean the whole process. I I have to, you know, applaud the government, and and give them credit because it really has been unprecedented to have a bunch of companies, you know, stand up and deliver a vaccine within less than a year Absolutely, um, and actually have it tested. And I, I, I know, um, you know, similar like to remdesivir, you know, there were some limited supplies and I think there's multiple um, sites for manufacturing. I'm, I'm hoping by time we get to April, you know, we've uh, we've got a, a, a larger capacity and more candidates and, um I think the challenge will be trying to find enough vaccinators to deliver the doses. So I yeah, agree with Dr. Fauci.
0: Yeah, we and, and I've I've been vaccinating and I find it to be extremely rewarding. I I do I do one to two shifts per one to two 4-hour shifts per week and and um was kind of in it from the beginning and found it to be very very rewarding. How does your staff feel about what they're doing with vaccines? Do they see it as a rewarding Part of their job, or do they see it as extra work? Or what are their thoughts?
1: You know, I chatted with one of my pharmacists today, and um, you know, we th- <laughs> like many things. Pharmacy, Bob, we threw him into the breach and stuck him in our main vaccine oh, yeah. clinic to oh, yeah. you know, run the, run the show. And he said, oh, yeah. you know, um, he said, I, I he told me this morning. He said, I can't believe how well organized it was from our end in terms of, you know. Uh, You know, being ready with thawed vaccines, um, how ready we were in terms of having our pharmacy technicians, you know, prepared to generate doses and label them and how quickly they were actually consumed and used in the clinic. He said "I." He said it was an incredibly efficient operation. And he even told me I got to see it firsthand, you know, when he he got his dose. And he said, not only did I see it from our end as pharmacist but to be involved and walk through it as a patient he said you know i i think um you know the healthcare community has really stood up and done what was asked and i oh, think the the pharmacists uh you know i i again i think we're you know we're not the uh, you know the spotlight doesn't shine on us um no. but in the end i think you know the educated patient will realize there's always a pharmacist somewhere in the background that's you know adding value and and supporting their care
0: and making them feel safe yeah. how what how do you see the sort of the long term so obviously we've got to vaccinate everybody forever with covid according to most experts just like the flu so yeah. how how do you see health systems organizing vaccine operations moving forward john
1: You know, I I think, Bob, I mean, we deliver a lot of vaccinations in our own retail pharmacies. And um, I I mean, the the challenge with some of the products has has been supply. I think you probably had the same issues with with Shingrix, where, you know, a lot of the product was shunted to the, you know, the community setting and not enough to the hospitals. But I I think uh, just like uh, we've seen with influenza, The more places, if there's abundance uh, in vaccine supplies, um, I don't care uh, where we vaccinate. We'll do it in our own hospital clinics. We'll do it in our retail pharmacy operations. And I don't own this, so I have a monopoly on this. If you can give these vaccines in a local CVS, Walgreens, community pharmacy, grocery store, um, you know, wholesale club, I fully support that. Um, I think the more places we have uh, an opportunity for patients, if they're leaving their grocery store and they see a line and say, boy, I'm, you know, I'll go to my next stop and it's, uh, you know, a community pharmacy and the local pharmacist can give them a dose, you know, I'll be uh, be quite happy. So I think the more places we can put it um, into the hands of a, a clinician to administer it, the better. And I, I, I know you're probably doing this too. Our technicians have been trained uh, yes. to take vaccines. And I just see them as being yet another, you know, uh, support group to, uh, you know, help us do these, uh, you know, deliver these doses. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, COVID sort of uh, changed the way we work in our organizations. I know it changed the way, because we've talked about this within our Vizient group that you and I sit on where, you know, decision-making is much quicker. Uh, we're more, we're less vertically, sort of held in check, meaning, you know, there's no sort of the chain of command is a little bit more circuitous because you got to get things done in a quick way. What are just maybe one or two things that you changed from when you when we went sort of live with the COVID response that you would keep now as the COVID response uh, abates and sort of into the next several years? What are some of the things you do as a department that you're going to keep as a result of
1: COVID? Um, I've, so I, I I think, you know, uh, to me, you know, uh, we've got a group of pharmacists, uh, you know, so again, I'll, I'll pat ourselves on the back. I think for the most part, you know, we're a very intelligent group of people, a very passionate and motivated group. Um, smart people like pharmacists make good decisions. So I can tell you, um, I, with all the different, Areas that we're trying to organize to set up clinics with uh, for vaccinations, with all the different discussions that were going on. Um, my managers, my directors, um, all have you know their own autonomy to make decisions and make things happen. And to me, right. you know, you got good people with uh, good decision making. You know, you can move a lot faster than trying to wait for permission um, right. or approval. Exactly. So I, I think even our chief medical offices uh, or assistant med- chief medical we've got a whole bunch of chief and assistant chief associate chiefs. Um, I think they'll agree that um, you know when we've placed um, even some of our younger uh, managers or clinicians in positions, you know my infectious disease pharmacists um, have just done so so much work. You know, at, at helping prioritize sequences for antibody cocktails for remdesivir um, to help generate guidelines and to you know try to weigh in on you know priority strategies for for patient allocations. And if if you don't have smart people to do that, um, I think it you just get bogged down in the in the details. So um, again, I, I think we're poised to you know, act autonomously in many instances like our physician uh, colleagues uh, in terms of care. Yeah. And the one thing I've <clears throat> I found in our organization is that,
0: um, you know, as you know, every organization is sort of hierarchical, right? You've got a boss, then their boss has a boss. And, you know, sometimes in the past, if you if you try to get an answer from somebody other than your boss about a program or about an issue, or about a system change sometimes it wasn't it was looked down upon it looked like you sort of didn't follow the chain of command well i think to be honest with you john that that's that's sort of going away i mean uh, people aren't as territorial around it at least in my institution there's more of a it's more of a of an interconnected group of people versus a hierarchical organizational chart now certainly you've got to have organizational charts to have a structure and run things and that sort of thing but when it comes to just making some decisions people are not people are not as uh, and territorial is not even the right word because my organization is a really has a really fine culture it's more about um people aren't threatened by the fact that somebody may approve something outside of their chain does that make sense it, I does. That, and I,
1: it, it makes it makes total sense um you know, I I got to tell you, Bob, I work for physicians who wouldn't, you know, they would even take the airwax out of a patient's ears. They wouldn't trust even a physician assistant or a nurse to do it. You know, they did take a patient's temperature and, and record it. You know, so I, I think generationally, um, you know, a lot of people have have been willing to give up control, um, you know, to individuals who have the experience, you um, and and the ability to make decisions. So I totally agree with you.
0: Um, Yeah, it's been really nice talking to you, John. I I know that, uh, I know you're busy. I do appreciate, I number one, I wanted to thank you for your service to our profession in terms of the COVID response. I mean, I know it it wasn't easy up there in the Northeast, um, but importantly, taking your time to educate our alumni and our residents I do have one more question. If you had to give our our residents listening to this podcast uh, just a couple pieces of advice for being a successful leader, what would that be? And I don't mean to put you on the spot because you and I didn't talk about this before (laughs) before the
1: interview. Not at all. I I I think um, you know I've been asked at the hospital, you know, to reinvent myself just about every four to five years. you know, I, I my career has gone from handling research drugs to oncology to middle management to clean room management to organized events like our pharmacy and therapeutics committee. I, I think what I would tell my, our my younger generation is be prepared. You know to you know to change your job function and your role and you know, you're prepared to do that in school. They teach you how to learn and uh, don't be afraid of, of taking on new tasks and new responsibilities or even new jobs. Uh, you know, you can do it because you've been prepared for that. And I mean, we've heard that. I've heard that from
0: several guests. And again, John Finikos, thank you so much for being on well, the show. Thank for
1: having me. And great.
0: have a great day. You too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, please do us a favor and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every week.